Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you today. And again, if you are uh, one of our guests, we are glad you're here as well. We hope you will stick around after services, let us get to know you, and you get to know us just a bit better. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. We will be continuing our series, Empowered to Rejoice. And as we look at the end of Philippians, chapter 2, what we see is that God empowers us to rejoice, whether in sickness or in health. Philippians 2, we'll begin reading in verse 17, and we will read to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the living God. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let us pray. Father, as we turn our attention to the personal lives of the Apostle Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, we pray that we would see how the principles contained in this text are applicable to our personal lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Prior to our reading this text this morning, would you have been able to tell me how Philippians chapter 2 concludes, or, or what is in the end of Philippians chapter 2. I mean, we may know Philippians chapter 2 generally for verses 5 through 11 and that great hymn about, the, about Christ and His exalted nature and being. But do we know how the chapter ends? You know, this, this section of Scripture is, is often overlooked, I believe, in our Bible reading. Or at least we, we run right through it because it's so personal. And it's so applicable to that specific situation that we often don't see, what does it have to do with me? So after explaining how the Philippians can maintain pure conduct before God, Paul turns his attention not only to himself, but to two dearly beloved brothers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They mean a great deal to him personally and also helped serve during his ministry. Again, these passages 
these verses, often overlooked by Christians, but I do believe they communicate the deep-felt, heartfelt affection of the Apostle Paul for his fellow laborers in the faith. And specifically, what is communicated here is that God mercifully preserves our lives until His appointed time for our death. What does it mean for God to mercifully preserve our lives? What does it look like? I believe we see it here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 30, and the spotlight put on these three servants of the Lord, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. We begin with Paul, and he talks about his life being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am being poured out, or to be poured out, as a drink offering. That's actually all a single word in the original language, if you can believe it. Spendomai in the Greek. It appears here and one other place. Paul talks about this same thing over in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6, his last lecture, as it were, to Timothy. The idea is captured in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15 when Paul talks about how he would gladly spend and be spent on behalf of the Corinthians. I am to be poured out as a drink offering. This is highly figurative language that Paul here uses. And he talks about this in the present tense. This is the present reality for Paul. It indicates that his life is being poured out. It's in the process of being poured out. And it will culminate at some future point, perhaps even picturing here, capturing the idea of martyrdom, where he gives his life in witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know, because we're living on this side of history, way down the stream of time, we know that Paul would, according to the early Christian tradition, joyfully lay down his life and face a violent martyr's death. But he says here that I'm going to do this on behalf of your faith, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. You see, that's what it would take. If that's what it would take for their faithfulness, Paul says, I'm, I'll gladly do it. I'll make that sacrifice. I'll, I'll do that service if that's what it takes for the Philippians to be faithful. He says, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. I, again, would, I, I'm glad. I rejoice. Rejoice with me. This language here of being poured out as a drink offering, it, it's clearly symbolic, but it points us back to the sacrificial system under the Old Covenant. And under the system, that sacrificial system, guess what? The sacrifice gave everything. The sacrifice gave all. I'm going to show this to you briefly if you keep your finger there in Philippians 2. And just look at the book of Leviticus. We can start in chapter 1 where the burnt offering, this is just one of the several offerings that were to be made under the sacrificial system. In verse 5, after the high priest had laid his hand on the head of the animal, then he shall kill the bull before Yahweh. The blood would be then thrown against the altar. If you turn the page to chapter 4, verse 4 this in terms of the sin offering now. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, lay his hand on the head of the bull, and kill the bull before Yahweh. 
Again, we see the animal gave all. The animal gave everything under the sacrificial system. The drink offering would be emptied. It would be poured out entirely. And this is the language that Paul is using to illustrate his own service and sacrifice. That he's willing to give everything. That he's willing to give all. Hold nothing back on behalf of the Philippian Christians. Now we know that the Christian life is to be a living sacrifice. Romans 1 in verse 1 talks about this very thing. How we are to be living sacrifices. And now here's the thing. God, and Paul recognized this, God was mercifully preserving His life day to day. And I say to you, God is doing the very same thing for each one of us. God mercifully preserves and sustains us on a day-to-day basis. We, in turn, on a day-by-day basis, are to present our lives before God as a living sacrifice, offerings to God, even to be poured out on behalf of others before God. And look, it's to be a willing sacrifice. Because involved in the idea of being poured out as a drink offering, involved in it is the the idea of self-denial. That we are to deny self. That's the willing part. Where we are willing to engage in denial of self. But it's also, notice, a joyful thing. I'm glad. I rejoice with you all. and, And you should be glad and rejoice with me. It is a joyful thing to give our lives, to spend and be spent for Christ and for others. This is what Paul understood. This is, I believe, what we are to recognize. But hear me. You know, just as I do, this is hard. Paul was a good ways down the road of faith when he made these statements. Assuming a date sometime in the early 60s for the writing of Philippians, Paul's been a Christian somewhere in the neighborhood of, well, over 25 years. He's had a long time. And even before that, he was a a Jewish rabbi who knew about self-denial and sacrifice as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He'll talk about that when we get to chapter 3 here next time. But he knew about this. So he's a long way down the road of faith when he wrote this about the the joyful offering of himself and self-sacrifice, even dying sacrificially. Again, I know just as you do, that's a hard thing. It's a tall order for some of us. And again, it's understandable. But here's the thing. Whether you've been a Christian a long time and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm right there with you, Paul. Or maybe you're not as far down the, the road of faith as others, and you're looking at this going, man, this is hard. I, I, I don't know if I can, I'm not, I'm not there right now. Hear me, start with the small moves. The small moves of humility that Paul has already broken down as we've gone through this. Back at the beginning of chapter 2 about counting others as more significant than yourself. Start with the small move of humility of looking not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Make these small moves that over time, as these lessons of humility begin to teach you what you need to know about faith and following Christ, that one day you arrive at this point where you're saying, ready to go. I'm ready to go. Offer what little you have to the Lord so that He, recognizing you're faithful and little, 
will give you even more to be faithful over. That's the nature. Our faith is to progress more and more. We are to grow in grace and knowledge. And so this drink offering, we're first of all confronted with it, and it is what we are to aim for. But now Paul turns his attention next to his co-worker Timothy. As we come here to verses 19 to 24, a lot can be said about Timothy. We know a lot. He's got two epistles written to him, First and Second Timothy. He accompanies Paul on a number of his missionary journeys. A lot can be said about Timothy. Specifically here, what we see is that Timothy, I guess we could summarize his service and career in the phrase that Paul uses here, proven worth. He has proven worth. He's an example of selfless service for the gospel. He's right there with Paul in pursuing other people's interests. Notice verse 20. Paul says, I have no one like him. Wow, that's high praise from the Apostle Paul, yes. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul's heart was for his Philippian brethren. So was Timothy's. Timothy had a heart for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, they shared a, the same concern, the same interest in the welfare, the well-being of these Christians in Philippi, their spiritual well-being specifically. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go for me. You know, whenever Paul wanted information about uh, another congregation or, or how the church was doing in a particular area, guess who he sent? He often sent Timothy. Timothy was the one that would go on behalf of Paul and and receive the report, good or bad, and give it to Paul when he returned. But it's really verse 21 that encapsulates why it is that Timothy has proven worthy, has this proven worth to his service. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests. That would be all the others that that Paul has in mind here. Some others that, that are just focused on their own interests. Not those of Jesus Christ. That's the key phrase there for Timothy. Timothy was one who looked at, to the interest of others because he recognized that ultimately service, while rendered to others, is ultimately rendered to Christ. And he looked to the interests of Christ. This was all part of the proven worth of Timothy as a minister, as a co-worker in Christ. He was a faithful soldier. You know, stories could be multiplied about soldiers who, in battle, even though they were injured, they would continue to fight. I'm sure we've, we've heard a, a number of stories about that. Maybe, maybe they're in, in the midst of battle and they, they, they're wounded in the arm, they're, they're the arm that they carry their weapon in, and, and they'll just switch to the other hand and, and keep fighting even though they can't use the other arm. A great example of this, I think, is the movie Black Hawk Down about the fighting that took place in Mogadishu in October 1993. Got a friend who went through preaching school with me who was actually there in Mogadishu and uh, confirmed the accuracy and inaccuracies in Black Hawk Down. But the end of that movie, by the way, it's history, so I hope this isn't a spoiler alert, right? <laughs> but at the end of the movie, they've been, they've been fighting for hours, hours. They finally make it back to the base. And 
after the, the non-stop fighting of the duration of the botched mission, here's one of the soldiers, and he's reloading, refueling, taking up supplies because he's heading back out. Heading back out into the fray. Timothy was a soldier of the cross, and he had taken a, a round or two in the great spiritual warfare that is the Christian life. But he kept fighting. He kept fighting. He, he kept going back into the fray, and he did it for his king, King Jesus. God desires this kind of faithfulness in us. There are a lot of rounds that fly around. I hate that sometimes it's friendly fire, but that's what happens sometimes. God, though, desires that we be faithful in service to Him. That if we do take a round, that we keep fighting the good fight of faith. See, God desires that kind of faith. That, that it's not that God is interested in, in how much money we have or, or how good you look or, or what it is. God is looking to the inward person. He's looking at the heart. And He wants us to trust in Him. That's what Paul says in verse 24. I trust in the Lord that I shall shortly myself come also. But I trust in the Lord. That's what it's rooted in here. Trust that the King knows what's best for us even in the midst of battle. God desires for us to seek the interests of Christ. Of Christ. He wants us to prove our worth through devoted service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look again at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. May it never be said that we, like the all that Paul is talking about here, they all seek their own interests. May it never be said that we seek our own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. i got to believe that that sentence for Paul, that must have been a bitter sentence to write. They don't seek, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. May it never be true for us. Instead, what a joy for Paul to have written, I have no one like him. No one like Timothy. No one like you, my brother, my sister. No one like you who will selflessly serve in both small things and great things. No one like you, Father, in leading your family in the faith. No one like you, Mother, in raising your children in the Lord. No one like you, Bible class teacher, in establishing the next generation in the faith. I have no one like you in serving Christ on behalf of His church and on behalf of the world. That's Timothy. There's one more. And he's kind of a lesser-known associate of Paul. You don't really know that much about him. He's mentioned in several epistles, but again, we just don't know that much about him. His name, though, is Epaphroditus, and we have the most information we have about him here in this section. Epaphroditus, who, verse 27 tells us, he was sick, ill, near to death. He'd come down with some kind of sickness, and it had taken its toll on Epaphroditus. Paul doesn't identify what it was. He only says he was near to death. He was on death's doorstep because of this sickness. Oh, but don't miss this. The rest of verse 27. But God had mercy on him. God had mercy on Epaphroditus. It was not death that was the verdict from God, but life 
that Epaphroditus would continue living on, that he would recover from this illness. Paul recognizes that God is the giver, mercifully, of health and life. And there was sorrow on Paul's part. Uh, He was uh, heartbroken, anxious, he says, about Epaphroditus' condition. And and yet uh, God had mercy on Epaphroditus, not only on him, but on me also. See, there's the interconnection between Christians. That when one of us mourns, we all mourn. That when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And Paul says, if if Epaphroditus had died, that would have been sorrow upon sorrow for me, he says. You see, there's sorrow at the, the sickness that Epaphroditus is undergoing. But there'd be even more sorrow if he had died. Sorrow because of the death. That would have affected Paul as well. But God mercifully spared Epaphroditus and Paul. And so Paul says he was, at the end of verse 28, says, I, I may be less anxious. Literally, I'm, I'm unsorrowful. Right? That's, that's the, the force of what Paul is saying here. Verse 30, Paul elaborates. He says he, he nearly died for the work of Christ. Wow, it was in service to Christ that Epaphroditus was willing to lay down his life. Epaphroditus, he was, he was a Christian who was willing to risk life and limb for the cause of Christ. No wonder, verse 25, Epaphroditus, he is my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, your minister to my need. In five different uh, terms in order to describe Epaphroditus. Yes, this was a faithful brother, and even in sickness, he'd been, he'd been faithful, and God had been merciful. You know, COVID-19. I mean, that's front stage for many people's minds today. A lot of people thinking about disease and sickness. And, and, you know, we do everything we can in order to avoid contracting the virus. Uh, We'll social distance. Maybe we'll wear masks. We've got all the, the hand sanitizer around the building. We've got the blower going in order to circulate the air through here. We will take vitamins, take supplements, Get the vaccine. We'll we'll do a number of things. All of these things, again, are attempts to avoid getting the virus. But there is no guarantee. There is no guarantee, even with all these preventative measures, that we will successfully avoid COVID-19. And in fact, there's an unspoken truth that terrifies many. And again, COVID-19 only brings it to the forefront all the more. And it is the truth that while we may delay the sickbed, there's no guarantee that we will avoid it entirely. In fact, we can't avoid it forever. I've said it before, no one gets out of this life alive. And whether it's COVID-19 or some other sickness or disease or whatever it is, God mercifully preserves and extends our lives until his appointed time. It wasn't Epaphras' appointed time, Epaphroditus' appointed time. It wasn't. God, God mercifully preserved, extended his life, and God does the same thing. For what purpose? So that we can continue to glorify Christ and God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our lives are not our own. They ultimately belong to God. And recovery from sickness, that is from God's merciful hand. 
It was not divine healing, apparently, that Epaphroditus needed. If it were, I mean, Paul's an apostle. He's healed others miraculously before. And so if God had so willed it, the apostle Paul would have miraculously healed Epaphroditus. But that doesn't happen. Because again, that's not what was needed. What was needed was reliance upon God's preserving mercy. God had mercy on him. And I say to each one of us, he has mercy on us. It is not an accident that you are here this morning today watching via the internet or here in person. God has mercifully preserved each one of us to this point. And it's all so that we might learn the lesson that we are to rely upon God and His mercy. We need to learn the lesson of the merciful preservation of God. You know, we rarely think of sickness in this way. That it's a a good, God-glorifying event in our lives. I think part of it is because of the error of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. A lot of Christians breathing in that secondhand smoke. And what happens is sickness gets reduced down to, well, it's a result of sin or it's a result of lack of faith. And all that is necessary is that you believe more or harder. Believe in what, by the way? God? Self? Faith in faith? Sickness, though, as it's presented in Scripture, even in the life of Epaphroditus, it's a a badge, it can be the badge of honor that Christians, God's children, sometimes wear. And even in sickness, God can be glorified. You know, there have been many faithful saints of God who have lived their entire lives with some grievous infirmity. If you tuned in to the annual report, one of the segments was when Buddy highlighted Cambodia. Do you remember the picture of the man who had crawled on hands and knees three miles, over three miles, over rugged terrain. The road was not good. This man, because of an infirmity in his legs, had crawled all that distance just so he could hear about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, in his day, he shared about a man he'd been confined to a bed for 56 years. And a friend wrote to Spurgeon and told him how great a soul winner that man was despite being bedridden. See, there's nothing like sickness, even an extended sickness, that will draw a soul nearer to God. And whether you've been a Christian a long time, or you're in the prime of life, or you're undergoing some sickness, whether in sickness or in health, I say to each one of us, we can joyfully rely upon the merciful preservation of our God. Let's commit this to prayer. We believe, Father, help our unbelief. We're not not in the habit of thinking about sickness and even death in these terms. And yet, once again, the Apostle Paul confronts us with the joy glorifying you, whether in sickness or in health. Father, help us, we pray, that we can recognize and never miss an opportunity 
to glorify you, to recognize your merciful hand and merciful preservation in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're here this morning, which I think is an indicator that uh, you don't have any symptoms of anything, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. If you're here, my friend, and you are not a Christian, you may be free of virus, sickness, infirmity, what have you. But if you are not a Christian, sin is a sickness of the soul. Sin is a disease, and Christ, the great physician, is the only one who has the cure. It is His blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, which cures us of sin, the soul sickness. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you, my friend, to make the most important decision of your life today. That you turn away from doing things your way and you turn to God to commit yourself to doing things His way. That you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and that you submit yourself to be baptized, immersed in water, have all of your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. And you are raised, covered in His blood to live the rest of your life glorifying Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In a moment when Gary leads us, that'll be your opportunity, my friend, to come forward and express how you desire to do that. You want to come to the great position even today, and we can help you with that. Many of us, most of us, we've experienced the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I want to encourage each one of us to rest in the mercy of God. Mercy for your sin, because we know that though we pledged ourselves To God, when we were baptized, the war continues against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The war continues, and we need the mercy that comes from God for our sin. We need the mercy that comes from Him for our lives to live day by day. And so I want to encourage each one of us, if if you recognize in some way you've been falling short in your life, again, you know when Gary leads us, that's your opportunity, my brother, my sister, come forward. Share these things on your heart. We'll surround you with love and we'll lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. If it's something of a, of a private nature, you want a personal setting, you make your way over to the uh, conference room. One of our elders will meet you there. And they'll do the same thing there that we'll do here. Surround you with love and lift you up in prayer. Maybe it's something of an altogether different nature. It could be something physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, what have you. Again, in a moment when Gary leads us, that's your opportunity to come forward as well. The lesson is yours, and the invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?